1: everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music as we kick off yet a brand new week not quite the last of the year but getting real close
2: what's the word for that penultimate <laughs>
1: that's exactly that's where we are uh well and this time next
2: week will be Christmas Day. Oh, yeah. Man, snuck up on us a bit, didn't it? Yeah, if you still got shopping to do, you better get on it. Yeah. Especially if you got to have it delivered, because uh, that might be pushing it.
1: Boy, the the online sellers sure do capitalize on that issue, do they not? You need it by this day. You better order now. <laughs> The cost of shipping, however, has skyrocketed. Man, with the price of fuel having risen rather dramatically and other costs. A local company, I wanted to kind of start out by highlighting this. I caught this story over the weekend. Nucor Steel, Jackson based company. Man, they're doing a good deed for folks at Christmas, children. Their parking lot was filled with over $20,000 in toys, including 175 bikes. Wow. I'm looking at the photo at uh, Nucor in Jackson, their headquarters, the parking lot there. It is impressive. Chris Locke, the general manager, said, quote, We're blessed to work with such a great team and have opportunities, and it's humbling, and it's something we will always continue to do. So the toys collected will be distributed to, to kids in need in Madison, Rankin, and Hines counties. And while we're at it, let's, uh, let's talk about the good folks down at Corner Market, where we were just uh, this past Friday collecting toys and goodies for the children at Homes of Hope for Children in the area. The Roberts Company, the parent company of Corner Market, very generous in that regard. We were certainly pleased to be part of that effort, broadcasting middays right there in the grocery store. They're always good to me, Rhino. It's a meal on the house from the deli. Can't beat that. No, it was awesome, too. Always is. Great food, great folks. Appreciate that. Appreciate Mike Southern, the chief operating officer, of course, for accommodating us and, and the good work they do. When he starts talking about the reaction from the children that go through the store and when they, of course, allow them to to uh, pick what they want for their meal on Christmas and so forth. And he says just fresh strawberries, fresh produce is just a luxury to them, things we take for granted. So we appreciate them. A lot of good people in the state of Mississippi that uh, care about their fellow Mississippians in these rather trying circumstances. So we appreciate all of them for sure. Speaking of food, Uber Eats, you know who those guys are. They'll, they'll bring you some food if you call them. They have published the weirdest food request they've gotten for 2023. Um, it's the fifth annual Uber Eats Cravings Report, which reveals the most popular, the weirdest, and the most unpredictable special requests. You can get just about anything you want, of course, from the delivery service, toilet paper, food, flowers. (laughs) And, of course, they depend on the same technology, the same app, to meet their expectations uh, for even special delivery requests to meet the customer expectation. One person asked that a restaurant put her order into a box Rather than a circular container, <laughs> Re- declaring, I refuse to eat any food if presented in a circular container. Please don't ruin my meal for me. What's up with that?
2: That's picky eating on a whole new level. <laughs>
1: Speaking of which, Uber says another picky eater <laughs> demanded her food be swimming in sauce. <laughs> Please drench the whole bowl in white sauce with a spiral of red sauce. Thank you so much. Just do what I ask. <laughs> oh, gosh. That is great. Oh, there's, there's some other stuff. Some consumers, of course, have to introduce a bit of their own flavor. See what I did there of humor? <laughs> one said, hello, Angel family, long time no order. Breasts, please, <laughs> please fry me up some big old breasts. Thank you. Oh, gosh, I love this one. Extra cheese sauce, please, <laughs> with a smiley emoji. I'll pay for it. I'm also drunk, <laughs> as if you loaded up, you'd make me the happiest drunk girl ever. Someone with a Drunchies, a.k.a. Drunk Munchies, of course, requested. Oh, God! I don't think I've
2: ever heard them called
1: Drunchies. I haven't either. That's a new one. Please fry my chicken very hard, very, very crispy, almost burned. (laughs) Oh, golly. Oh, man. Let's see. There was some weird stuff, too. See if I can uh, find the list there. One I re- recall was steak and jelly. Ever heard of that?
2: Steak and jelly. <laughs> like beefsteak? I guess. It just said steak and jelly. The only thing I could think of would be like lamb steak with mint jelly? That might make sense, but uh, it's weird. The, well, like uh, a T-bone or a porterhouse with some... Welch's grape jelly just doesn't sound all that appetizing.
1: Seems weird. You know what? One of the most popular? French fries. Bring me some French fries. <laughs> uh, steak and jelly, cottage cheese, and mustard. Another one of the the uh, more bizarre requests. <laughs> Condensed milk and avocado.
2: <laughs> Seaweed and pasta sauce. Butter and pickled onions. Wow. You know, like all failed fusion restaurants, <laughs> yeah. burrito bowl and cheese. These are the most popular:
1: French fries and salt, a chicken sandwich and shredded lettuce, a cheeseburger and mustard, and wings with ranch dressing. Garlic naan. What is that? N a a n. Indian flatbread. Oh. It's delicious. Okay. Pad Thai, miso soup, and a California roll. Most popular delivery <laughs> and request also in the U.S. included. No no onions, dressing on the side, ranch, extra soy sauce, spicy, sauce on the side, no lettuce, no jalapenos, extra gravy, and no coleslaw. We're a picky bunch, aren't we? <laughs> So there you go. That's the Uber Eats. They have uh, made that kind of a big deal every year, telling you all about it. I found that rather fascinating. Yesterday, you may have heard, a car rammed into a vehicle, part of President Joe Biden's motorcade, near his Delaware campaign headquarters. Don't worry. Neither the president nor the first lady, Jill Biden, were harmed. This is weird. A sedan hit a Secret Service
2: vehicle. Yeah, you know, there's actually a video of the incident.
1: Is there? I haven't seen oh, yeah. it.
2: Okay. Because you've got Biden walking out of some event, and he's he's like talking to the press at a distance, but not really doing his little shuffle. And <laughs> you just hear tire screech and crash, and the camera's still pointed at the president, but the president's looking like. Stunned and shocked, and Secret Services hesitant to chuck him in the beast, but you could see him kind of hurry him, and then they do the whole slowly get him in there. <laughs> Thinking about it at a minimum, huh? Well, nobody hurt,
1: uh, and you know, you don't know. I don't know the details here. Was this intentional or was it a legitimate
2: accident? From what it looked like, it was rainy, wet, slick, so very yeah. well could have just been fender bender accident. Maybe they had the drunchies. <laughs> You're used to making the same turn every day, and all of a sudden there's a presidential motorcade parked in your way. I I can see how that would kind of
1: ruin your day. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, good thing everybody's okay. we got a lot to talk about today. It's Monday, a two-hour show in store for you. Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors. When we are complete with middays, Starla Brown, the state director of Americans for Prosperity, will join middays. At 11.05, we're coming right back.
2: Baby, it's cold. Baby, it's cold outside.
0: Now, back to Middays with Gerard, here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: I'll have a
0: blue Christmas
2: without you.
3: so blue, just thinking about you,
2: decorations of red
3: on a green
2: Christmas tree. Us into this segment here,
1: it is Christmas, folks. Hope you're enjoying yourselves. A time to reflect on the prior year, the year that was, of course, and enjoy family, peace, good things, and get ready for the next year. Always optimistic going into the next year. It's kind clean of clean slate, fresh yeah, start, fresh start, renew, clean slate, all the above. Absolutely. And we appreciate uh, you joining us today. So you just shared with me a uh, an interesting video. Former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, whose body lies in repose in the Capitol there, of course would have an honor guard position. That is part of the way we do that official state funeral. Uh, these would, of course, be members of the U.S. military, you just sent me a video, one of them uh, collapsed there, Tell what do you know about that?
2: Yeah, it's one of the honor guard, It. I don't know if they were fixing to change the honor guard, and it was at the end of a shift, or what, but the video starts with the honor guard looking visibly shaken on their feet, and then the guard behind them catches them and, and lays them down on the ground, and then you have everybody mm-hmm. rush over to provide what assistance they can while... Yeah someone else takes up their position as guard.
1: Yeah, and, and in the video you can see a, another member of the guard. I don't know if this is the person scheduled to uh, to uh, replace um, as they change shifts there or not, but is behind them, right, trying to support them, hold them up there and, and kind of break the fall a bit, and then they go over to attend. the others don't blink an eye, as is their duty. Well, Can't we, lock your legs. Right. So we certainly hope uh, that person is okay. I, I couldn't tell if it's male or female from a distance. It's kind of hard to tell. But nonetheless, we certainly appreciate their service. So this vehicle that ran into the uh, Secret Service vehicle is part of the President's Motor K. Don't know much about that. Doesn't appear there was any foul play or or, or deliberate move there to ram a Secret Service vehicle and disrupt the motorcade. And everybody's good. So I just wanted to pass that on. Car barrels into parked SUV, is the headlines in the New York Post. Car plows into Biden motorcade near Delaware from Fox News.
2: And now I'm seeing pictures from the other direction pointed at the car and You've got police and and other people talking to the driver, still in the vehicle, and the look on his face is like, oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
1: little boo-boo. I'm sure there will be a complete investigation there. Of course, there should be. Speaking of vehicles up there in Canada, just to our north, they have announced that all new cars must be zero emissions by 2035. I don't see how they're going to get there. There's going to be a lot of people walking at this point. Uh, battery electric, plug-in, and hydrogen models qualify. They must represent 20% of all new car sales in 26. I mean, that's just around the corner here. 60% in 2030 and 100% in 2035. Now, globally, electric vehicles represent About 13%. So, you you may have recalled the issue with Southwest Airlines last year. Lots of delays. Systems crashed. Secretary of the Transportation Department, Pete Buttigieg, got uh, pretty upset about that and ordered an investigation. And, of course, one of the things that they're tracking is that the airline is refunding in accordance with rules all of those passengers who weren't able to fly and had significant delays and cancellations honestly missed their trip altogether and so i saw him today interviewed on the business channel real early and it was right after the the anchor had interviewed um, oh, one of the stock analysts, you know, one of the market analysts, and they were talking about EVs and how the dealers just have lots full of them, cannot move them, of course, typically in accordance with their franchise agreements with the, the manufacturer. They just ship you those vehicles. That's part of your deal. You're going to get an allotment every month. And, I mean, there's different terms and conditions. But in general, it's not because you ordered them. You're going to have to take them. That's part of the deal, part of the contract. So they're sitting on these lots. They're having a hard time selling them. And this stock analyst said that his son was shopping for a vehicle in the last week. And the salesperson pointed to, like, this sea of EVs and said, you want one of those? I'll sell it to you for 10 grand. 10 grand. I don't know that there are any new vehicles that sell for 10,000 bucks.
2: Not any you can buy in the United States, no.
1: Okay. So they're willing to, to take a hit, essentially a loss, just to move the inventory, get something, some pennies on a dollar, if you will. Well, the anchor shared that with Buttigieg who, of course, is a staunch proponent of electric vehicles. And he he disputed it. He just didn't believe that that was the case. And the anchor said, well, I, I literally just interviewed someone on the channel here who shared this story. He said, well, give me his number. I'll call him and talk to him. He says, I will. <laughs> so then... The, the analyst, the market analyst who shared that story before Buttigieg came out about his son having this opportunity to buy an EV for 10 grand, came back on. And and um, he, he asked him, the anchor asked him, I, I assume it's okay if I share your number with the secretary. He said, Yeah, he said, that would be the strangest call I would ever receive, something to that effect, that the secretary of transportation would call him up and they'd talk about. This scenario, but that's the problem, is it not? They're just in denial. It's like everything is just the refusal to accept. Open your dang eyes up to reality, whether it's the border, or crime, the situation abroad, the economy, name it. They just refuse to accept the truth, and and therefore it's extremely difficult to have productive conversations about policy and about moving the country forward if we're unable to debate based on facts. I'll give you another one. I'm going to be fair and balanced here. I've seen this post going on around on social media. I don't know the individual that posted it. And it's, by the way, from August. And it states just, it's something to the effect, just 38 months ago, The U.S. was the top producer of oil in the world. Okay. Well, in 2018, the U.S. achieved that distinction. As the top producer of oil in the world, it still is. Now, I believe that Joe Biden's policies have hindered the increase of production of oil in this country dramatically. We were on a trend to continue to produce more. And, of course, oil is a globally traded commodity. I think a lot of people believe we produce oil, we refine it here, we consume it, that it just stays here And that's not the case. We've never actually produced enough oil in this country to satisfy the demand and the daily consumption of oil. That is not what energy independence means, that you hear that term a lot. But the fact is, had Trump's policies just remained in place, it is true. We would be producing more than we are. It's also true we're producing more than we were when he left office. Both of those are true. but And so, again, we just got to debate the facts. I think Joe Biden's policies and this war on fossil fuels is terrible. It's hurting us all. And I fully support when Trump states, hey, job one, day one is drill, drill, drill. I'm all over that as well. I completely agree with, with uh, the former president in that regard. But again, we've got to debate with the facts. Fact is, the U.S., by not a whole lot, produces more oil than any other country in the world and as a share of the total production it's at about 14.6%. It's been pretty steady at that level for quite some time. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: well studio so also want to recognize that yesterday was uh, my brother's birthday he would have been 75 he uh, he passed away at the very young and unexpected age of 27. In 1976, autopsy, which my parents insisted on, revealed that he had a a birth defect to his ticker that went undiscovered. Serving in the United States Air Force, a member of the Elite Strategic Air Command, often taking him into extremely risky, dangerous situations. As he described it to me, Rhino, in Vietnam, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but you got to think what communications were like 40-something years ago. You didn't have all the sophisticated technology we have today, but literally paper documents, fear of any sort of radio communications, uh, the very primitive technology we had, could fall into enemy hands. I mean, you did, had the same with respect to paper documents, but it had a person attached to it that was trained on how to uh, evade the enemy and even take them down with force if necessary. And that's what my brother did delivering these orders. Literally, as, you, as you've seen in television, in the briefcase attached to him, open it up, some commander would read it, put it back in, he'd head out. And uh, went through all kinds of medical tests, of course, to as, as part of his military service. Never discovered this, uh, this strange birth defect. So it was in 1976 that he drove himself to the hospital, and it took about an hour. And Unfortunately, he was gone. Never forget that, of course. But yesterday was his birthday. And, uh, you know, not a day goes by. I don't think about him, and I surely wish we could have raised our families together. I know he's uh, up in heaven and seated uh, with God the Almighty, and I appreciate uh, his service to our country. You know, he's one of these guys that was so kind and so unselfish and so caring, but, man, when it comes to defending his country, his family, his military brethren, he was all business. You didn't want to mess with him. So... Um, Just had to to recognize that. Thanks for indulging me. So Greta Thunberg, please pronounce it. Thunberg. (laughs) She was just Friday, climate strike week 278. (laughs) The final outcome of the COP, this would be COP 28, that was the 28th UN climate conference, is not. A historic win. It is yet another example of extremely vague and watered-down text full of loopholes that in no way is even close to being sufficient for staying within the 1.5 degree limit and ensuring climate justice." (laughs) Oh gosh. She goes on to say, we were just talking about oil, In the last segment, phasing out fossil fuels is a bare minimum. We need drastic, immediate emission cuts and binding commitments from the largest contributors of the climate crisis to finance loss and damages, adaptation, and just a transition in the most affected areas. Why do I not think that she actually wrote that? That sounds like an AI deal there to me. I don't know. Maybe so. It just does. And now, of course, we're I mean, she's
2: pretty much reading from a script that her parents have given her her entire life. That's true. She's a high school dropout. She doesn't have an actual thought in her head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: gosh. It's uh, incredible Uh, how much attention... We're giving her attention. I just find it humorous uh, more than anything. So I, I don't put a dime's worth of value into anything she says about anything whatsoever. But... And now we hear that from scientists in the UK, then human breath is bad for for the atmosphere, for the planet, climate change. Let's save the planet. Kill all the humans. Right. Be gone with you, you humans. It's unbelievable. It's it's a cult. It's beyond cult now, honestly. When you get to that point, it's beyond cult. So it Literally, are they calling for the extermination of humans <laughs> to protect the planet?
2: Golly, I believe they would use the phrase depopulation. Depopulate—that's exactly right. And like right. decolonization—that's <laughs> exactly right. Oh gosh!
1: On the ceasefire text line, we got some in here. Sharon and Brandon says people put grape jelly to heat up cocktail smokers, and it's fabulous.
2: Really. I, I mean, I, I could see grape jelly being good with something like pork, but beef, I don't know. Well,
1: that's what Uber Eats says, that folks are ordering steak with a jelly. I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. I had scrap metal I just wanted to get rid of, but wanted to recycle. Took it to New Steel. Had a choice to donate the money to their Christmas fund, <clears throat> which I did, says Andy and Jackson. Appreciate that also. Someone uh, informed us of the 5th Squad, 8th Annual rut for Rugrats. This is from about a week ago. 5th Squad, along with four hundred over 400 of our closest friends, rucked, in, in uh, quotations, 4.5 miles to carry toys to Children's of Mississippi during the 5th Squad's 8th Annual rut for Rugrats. As always, we get bigger every year, and this year we were able to deliver and donate over 120,000 in toys. Good work there. Appreciate that. So that's from C Spire text line. Jeff says, when I was in Chicago while Barack Obama was president, I wanted to see his house, so we drove by it and it was covered with Secret Service. I just waved at them, and they waved back. I think waving's okay. That, that doesn't... That that wouldn't kind of be a red flag, would it, for the secret? Watch out for them. They waved at us. Certainly not. Fox News said it was a drunk driver, says Loretta in West Point. I missed that point. Thanks for that. Is that true, uh, Rhino? Have you seen any
2: information
1: indicating that the driver of the vehicle, which crashed into
2: Oh yeah, I thought we mentioned that. If do we I guess we I guess I was just reading that I didn't say it. Okay. But yeah. Okay. All right. That's the the latest that came out about okay. 45 minutes to an hour ago.
1: Well, I know you said maybe it was the slippery pavement and so forth. So, combination of that and and being yeah. having your faculties impaired. Yeah, I can see how that'd be a prop. Don't get behind a dang wheel if you've been drinking, folks. Real simple. Have you got the Elvis Christmas parody song, the one where he's eating? Ed from New Hope asks, "Wouldn't you like to go, love to go back in time and tell John Adams one day the government's going to tell you which horse you can have and just see what he had to say?" Says Zach and Oxford talking about the the uh, nation to our north, Canada, imposing restrictions on gas-powered vehicles and requiring that they're going 100% non-fossil fuels powered vehicles by 2035. They're phasing out the traditional fossil fuels, cars and trucks and so forth. Which I mean,
2: in fairness to the Canadians, maybe not necessarily to their government, I don't think their government would have thought this far ahead, but to the Canadians themselves, that may be a little bit, smaller hurdle to overcome than say in america because there's a large percentage of canadian homes that already have an outlet out by where their vehicles park i mean, be simply talking. because of engine block heaters. yeah yeah which i'm uh, pretty sure those aren't the right amperage or voltage to handle charging a car right or at least not the tier one charger
1: not something we see in this part of the country. We don't buy vehicles no. with engine but bl- And that's been around a while. That's nothing new. Oh, yeah. And back in, in the in the day before we had all the fancy fuel injection stuff, you didn't have that. You couldn't start the vehicle. Literally had to have that just to make it work and roll. Nothing changes political allegiances more than walking in a Canadian winter, says Reese in Clarksdale. Does a horse count as zero emissions in Canada? Dan in Hattiesburg asked. Bill in South Mississippi says, I work for an oil company. These companies have got to make money, and right now many of these companies are climbing aboard the climate crisis movement to ramp up their carbon capture programs. I want to ask the CEO of my company if she really believes in this man-made climate crisis. The world runs on oil and always will. It's certainly hard to see any point in the future where that's not the case, Bill, although I can I can see there's all kinds of novel, renewable energy technologies on the horizon, but you're right, we're a long, long, long away from fully phasing out fossil fuels. But I understand, and this is something, you know, Rhino, we've talked about a lot, where these business execs of these oil companies, they, they get the message from the government that which wants to put them out of business. Wow, we're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk, Mississippi. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town.
1: He's making a list, checking it twice. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays in the Element Well Studio. So if you're looking for an Apple Watch, better get on out there and buy one because they ain't going to be able to sell them anymore in the the United States starting on December the 21st. That is because the International Trade Commission says that they violate medical technology company Massimo's patent rights. So it's a patent infringement situation, and they've ordered Apple to discontinue, at least pause, suspend selling of the watch until, I guess, they sort that out. That's interesting. So you better get out there and get one if you want uh, an Apple Watch.
2: I mean, it's certainly no Tickle Me Elmo, but that does seem to be a pretty popular Christmas present Yeah, for many families across the country.
1: Hadn't heard the old Tickle Me Elmo, but I do remember the long
2: lines, people literally fighting over that gift. It inspired one of my favorite Christmas movies. What's that? Jingle all the way! Yeah, that is a good starring one. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Simbad, where they're they're fighting it out for a Turbo Man.
1: Yes, indeed. So, uh, last segment, I was just talking about how there's some some folks on the on the right that are talking about the U.S. losing its status as the world's top producer of oil. That is not true. Still is has been since 2018. On the other hand. Let me point out that the left, and and those especially that are stumping for the president, they're very quick to point out, "Oh, we're producing more oil that what they say is th- three million barrels more per day than when Trump left office." Well, that that is true, except you know what fact they omit there is that the. The country, the world was shut down due to COVID when Trump left office. And so the more meaningful, valid comparison is the economy at full bore before the COVID shutdown nonsense of then versus today. And the amount of production in the country now, the production has steadily increased in this country since we started keeping records back in the uh, the 20s. But it's absolutely true that the latest reading from the Energy Institute, and this is this is absolutely U.S. Energy Information Administration is absolutely reliable information, always has been, and it's widely regarded as such. 13 million barrels a day. In twenty nineteen, see this is this is what you got where you gotta pay attention to the nuance of the math. In the same month in twenty nineteen, before the COVID came upon the country, we were at twelve point five million. So it's true we're up eight hundred thousand or so barrels a day since then. But what gets left out is where would we be again had that trend? which was going upward, continued, because the president at the time, Donald Trump, was not demanding and imploring that the nation discontinue the use of fossil fuels. In fact, he was embracing it. He was encouraging it. He was telling oil producers, we're going to get out of your way. We want to make it easy for you to explore, to produce, to boost the supply, thus bringing the price down. He got that. We got a president, an administration now, and in fact, an entire party that wants to totally shut down the fossil fuels industry. And that nuance gets left out of the left's argument. So they're right when you compare today with the with the economy recovered on its own and operating. At, uh, at at its fullest, relative to 2020, the final year of the Trump administration, when the economy was shut down because of COVID, they're right, but they again they they're kind of using that comparison, I think, in a in a um, oh a, a nefarious sort of way. I mean, because they're being untruthful about it. It's just disingenuous. And then, you know how folks on the left have constantly told us, have they not, Rhino, when when Donald Trump would always tout the stock market's performance. He did that a lot. He paid attention to it. He, 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 He watched the market, the indexes, the performance, and he would talk about it as a measurement of economic prosperity and success. Now I'm seeing people on the left do that, whereas with respect to Joe Biden, in, uh, in his economic policies. Whereas during the Trump era, the folks on the left said, well, the stock market's not a true gauge of the economy. Remember that? That's only the wealthy people. Now, all of a sudden, they're promoting it. They're all on board with it. So which is it? Be consistent. Be truthful. Try something different. We're stepping aside for a break. It's Fox News and Super Talk News. When we come back, it's Stalin Brown, the... State Director of Americans for Prosperity.
3: Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, cool, <laughs> Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, Talk, think deeply and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Welcome back everyone. It's middays. It's hour two of the program. We are live in the Element Well studio today. We welcome Starla Brown, the State Director of Americans for Prosperity, Mississippi. Starla, good to see you. Thanks for coming on.
4: Good to see you too, Gerard. Great, great to be here. I just uh, got back from a week in Charleston, South Carolina. So beautiful uh, city. Yeah, beautiful city. Uh, great uh, doing some work over there uh, with the team there, and, um, and and kind of enjoying being by the water. Yeah. So yeah. The, so, so much
1: history in Charleston.
4: So American much American history. history. It, you, it's right. It's right. You know, I, I remember I was driving down the interstate, all the historic signs and the different places. You know, the forts and the different areas you could, uh, um, you know, you could you could visit. Unfortunately, I was there for uh, deployment of work, so didn't get to see a lot of that. But uh, yeah, great city and yeah. great people. We enjoyed having some conversations at the doors there with them, and and uh, good to be back home though. It's always good to be back in Mississippi and yeah. getting everybody getting ready for Christmas. I I appreciate Appreciate you sharing your decorations there yeah. for your own home. I look forward to that uh, from last year. It's first time I'd seen it being back, but uh, we
1: enjoy that. It's a lot uh, of fun. Yeah. It's kind of a tradition, Julie and I, and and uh, so we we doctor the house all up, and yeah. we 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 like to share that with folks. So, yeah. all right. So uh, hard to believe, but the legislature less than three weeks away. I
4: know. I know. <laughs> <they're> Going <laughs> to be in the
1: capitol <laughs> And going to be, of course, uh, debating and deliberating a number of issues. I've talked to several members of our legislature the the last month or so, and kind of getting primed up and ready for that. What What's uh, AFP going to be working on in the next legislative session?
4: Well, I um, I think you and I chat a little bit of this. What we're, one of the things we're watching is the PERS yep. uh, retirement system and uh, watching to see what uh, those solutions look like uh, as, as they consider. How how do we keep the funding an unfunded mandate, right? Yep. Uh, and how do we do that for the uh, taxpayers, businesses, entities that are all involved? And appreciate the article that you put out once again. Um, I thought it was a great Great way of breaking it down. We've shared it on our social media, and um, just a great way for people to, to go in and kind of understand what the system looks like, but also understand the problem. So we're yeah. we're just kind of we're kind of watching that right now. Um, I feel confident that uh, everyone recognizes that we have to do something, uh, and what that something becomes yeah. is uh, is where, where we're going to see where That's we, right. we can land. So, yeah. um, and uh, then again, we're bringing back uh, certificate of need law repeals, uh, continuing to to look at that. Is healthcare, um, as you know, we do a lot of healthcare policy at the federal level, and mm-hmm. there are a number of bills that are being introduced out there. Um, you know, some will probably make it through the House, or have already made it through the House this year, and we'll continue to see that into next year. We believe a lot of the healthcare uh, pieces uh, will be solved at the fed- federal level. That there's a lot of uh, of legislation there that's going to um, improve. The access and affordability of healthcare. By it's not, you know, it's not this one silver bullet, right? When we talk about Medicaid expansion, and I know that that's a, a very um, contentious subject, depending where you stand and uh, on, on that piece. But you know, to say that that is the only thing that's going to fix the healthcare crisis, and by passing a Medicaid expansion bill, we're going to solve all the problems that it's taken decades to get to. We don't see that as the the wherewithal. We have a, a website called the Personal Option. And you can just literally Google AFP, the personal option. It'll take you right to the website. Um, and on that, we talk about the different things, like whether it's uh, you know price transparency, knowing what you're paying for. Right? Healthcare is one of the um, one areas where. When you go in to pay for something, you don't actually know what you're going to pay, right? It's not like when you walk in other for-profit industries. So there's a lot of stuff coming along, and and uh, but we believe certificate of need at the state level is one of the ways to uh, create a more of a free market environment uh, for healthcare. Doesn't mean that people are going to run out tomorrow and open hundreds of hospitals across the state and force people out of business. That's not that's not the idea with this. It is an idea of of that supply and demand, right? Which is you know. Just part of simple economics, and uh, we just believe that, you know, someone wants to come and invest their monies and open up a number of different pieces that are in that certificate need program uh, that are currently have to go through the state that that regulation or that barrier if you will to doing that should be removed um and so we're so we're going to be talking more about that again and you know if you'd love to get kate gates on the show sometimes our deputy state director he is uh i know you know him and he's uh he's really working uh on that piece with our national coalition so we're looking forward to that and then next up for us is looking at what can education look like in Mississippi for the longer term. So uh, we're going to uh, be talking a lot about uh, different pieces of our education system uh, and where we see some improve- improvements there.
1: Yeah, which, of course, as you well know, uh, represents more than half of our general fund spending, uh, public education does. Right. And so the question is, what is the return that the taxpayers are getting for uh, that investment investment And uh, and that's got to be in focus. So with respect to the certificate of need programs, you know, something I've been crusading on for a long time, and we get, seem like we get close every year and just can't, including last year, and just can't get it across the the finish line. Um, You know, there are a few states that still have um, certificate of need laws, what's about Two thirds of them, I think, mm-hmm. still have them. Right? Yeah, Started so, in New so, York in the seventies, as right. I recall. Doing some research on that. It it makes no sense that that we have these. Regardless of honestly whether or not we have folks out there lined up to to open up new hospitals or clinics or or healthcare services in general. The fact is, you shouldn't have to go request to the government uh, permission to to engage in a business like that.
4: Right. We have. Um, um, we had online for our west uh, state of west virginia when we were working there we, and uh and you know we repealed certificate of need laws in south carolina where i was last week um and uh we're, we're going to be bringing uh hopefully to the state here at some point uh some of the individuals whether they be individuals who are impacted by certificate of need loss uh, legislators who were for removing and repealing that um some other individuals who played a role in that um in South Carolina are going to be coming to our state to help us sort of understand uh, how they got to that point. One of the things that we did um, earlier this year was we actually brought in, um, we have a, within our uh, community, a brand called Concerned Veterans for America. Hmm. And there's an impact of certificate of need laws uh, in terms of the, you know, the mission act, right? And the, and the availability for veterans to not have to travel, two hours to get health care at the VA if if they could get it locally, right? And we've passed federal legislation for that. Um, but that impacts them too, right, when there's not the ability for more clinics and more things like that. So we've been working um, with that Veterans Affairs piece as well. Um, and we brought someone into the state to really talk through that, um, you know, what wait times look like at the VA, what what. What can happen, and and so we we think there's this is not just you know it's not one prong it's not one certificate of need law there's you know certainly 19 pieces that we've been looking at Um, and we did have a vote and committee got voted down around uh, you know, so we were looking at health care and substance abuse, uh, abuse, um, uh, pieces last, this past legislature, yep. And, um, you know, had one committee vote, got voted down, but we, we think that there's still, uh, a lot of talk and, and, uh, to be done there. And, and that this is something we want to continue to fight. It sometimes takes years for us to get to the point where we work out all those differences, but, uh, we look forward to having more conversations around. Yeah.
1: It got real close. Honestly, yeah. I thought it was going to happen. I was at the Capitol that day yes. and, uh, I saw the committee chairman right after the vote, and uh, they were kind of dazed, honestly. I think the committee chairman thought going into the committee meeting that the votes were in place. Uh, at least to pass it out of committee and get it to the floor.
4: We thought the same, but yeah, I guess it there were some conversations that happened behind the scenes, and it just didn't happen. So, yeah. but um, but we've we've had conversations with some of those people on that committee, and and you know we're working through that, and so you know they didn't vote for it, and we're hopeful that they're starting to you know maybe understand a little bit more about what certificate of yeah. need can mean for our yeah. state. So.
1: Well, hopefully we get something done there. Like I said, at a minimum, it's just the right thing to do. It's, it's kind of hard to predict what the outcome would be in terms of, a, of attracting uh, and serving as a catalyst for uh, new and more health care is really what you're looking for to drive the cost down and increase competition and just increase access as well
4: yeah sure and and look, um if we just look at that mental health and substance abuse facility piece yeah. alone, yeah um we know there's a shortage of beds and and the legislature took some steps to to help in that, but when you talk to law enforcement um and i you know still having these same conversations since I got here around the fact that a lot of the people incarcerated uh need mental health um, treatment yeah. um, they're not in there for let's say a, a a particular crime that was committed it's more you know maybe they seem a nuisance to the people in their community because they're you know walking around the streets and they maybe need to be in a mental health bed and to have treatment and to see what can be done and so you know that's a that's a that's a problem that we have to address
1: yeah just locking them up doesn't seem to be really changing the trajectory there if you can hang around we keep talking about uh, some of the other issues that uh you guys are going to be working on with the legislature in the upcoming 2024 session a whole new term we got work to do so (laughs) we got starla brown state director of americans for prosperity we're coming right back in the element well studio
0: with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Let's go.
1: Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We are live today in the Alamut Wells studio. We thank you so much for joining us. We're talking to Starla Brown. She is the State Director of Americans for Prosperity of Mississippi. Okay, so Starla, we talked about um, talked about PERS, uh, and, and I agree with you, as you know. I, I wrote yeah. that article mainly just to call attention to it, just to say right. we have a problem We've got to address it, and kicking this can down the proverbial road uh, even longer, it just makes the problem more intense and, and uh, more difficult to solve at a later date. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing that up. I think the legislature is poised to address that mm-hmm. in some way. You know, and again, I agree with you what that uh, approach and what the ultimate solution looks like. As I said in the article, it's probably a hybrid that, that would include a, a, a number of, um, of different policy changes and funding changes and and, uh, structural changes in the model while protecting existing retirees. And, and, I mean, I think everybody's on board with that. And those that are certainly within striking distance, a reasonable period of time from retiring, I totally agree with that. So that's a good thing. And then we talked about uh, the certificate of need laws, which is, I think, uh, does hamper the uh, health care environment in the state of Mississippi and it's something, again, that I know AFP, for as long as it's been in Mississippi, has has been campaigning sure. uh, to repeal. And um, and I, I have as well, for what that's worth. And we get close. We just can't seem to get it done, of course. Well,
4: we're going to stay in that good fight because we believe that the overall outcome is going to lead to more affordable, accessible health care. And, uh, you know, we... Look, we've we've got some good stuff in Mississippi. I don't even sometimes think people realize like, you know, we have direct primary care here, right? Yeah. And, and and you know, that like I said, there's a lot of pieces or a lot of solutions to bring the cost of healthcare down. At the end of the day, it's about doctors and patients. It's not it's not about um all of these other barriers that we put in place that don't allow uh, the you know, healthcare prices to to go down. And yeah. um and frankly, um if more more Opportunity of places opening up that does create more jobs. I I don't I know sometimes the argument is that oh you know uh, lots of places will shut down and it will be job loss and we hear that I hear that out of um, elected officials as well as people uh, in in the industry. Uh, the truth of the matter is um, that's simply not the case and, and and you know I don't see that in other states where it's been repealed and so I think um, the idea of you know, like I said, there's not going to necessarily be this mass rush out to do different things. But people who want to come here and bring a, a health care business to the state and see an opportunity um, in places where it's needed, um, we, want to, we want to make sure they have that opportunity to do so.
1: I think the concern that, that I have is that where we need, uh, need mostly uh, additional uh, outlets providing care are in areas areas where most of the population is uninsured. Um, impoverished uh, and unhealthy so it's like hey hey, come to this area we need you here by the way everybody's sick and nobody pays and that's i think that's a tough one Uh, and so the question is how do we address those specific areas because there is a, a fairly stark contrast in in this state uh between the the more urban areas where um, household incomes are higher, and and ex- access to health care is better than the pockets of the states. Just a, it's a kind of a unique um, sort of distribution of our population Correct. in the state that we've Correct. got to address as well. And we have and so, a
4: high percentage of people who are already on Medicaid, and yeah. and so yeah, I understand it's a difficult problem. It's not it it is not a simple uh, solved problem. Yeah. Um, but I think there's some merit to looking at policies that open up. Uh, opportunity I right? agree let the market and work let, let the market work and uh, work itself out it, it may it may take some time for us to see some results out of some of those pieces yeah. but if we apply all of the good policy right all of the things that we know make a lot of sense um, part of me says what's the harm right do no, you know, it's kind of the do no harm right like you know we've just uh, we've just got to open it up so we're looking forward to that but yeah.
1: so. I agree and hopefully we can get that done because yeah. uh, in maybe the first uh, first session of a brand new term, when when the next election's a long time away, uh, is the best time to get yeah. some of these more thorny issues Absolutely. across the finish we're, line.
4: We're excited. Um, we're excited to uh, to bring that conversation back, and we look forward to that. We look forward to. We have a lot of new legislators coming in, new speaker. Um, you know, it's exciting times sometimes when you uh, have that opportunity um, for sort of that change and coming together. And we we um, we hope that that's what we'll see. We're we're really excited to be part of that. We look forward to working with all of the legislators, um, um, all parties, yeah. uh, and talking about the good things that that are going to make Mississippi a better place for us to to be and live and raise our families. And
1: totally so. agree. So the uh, the ballot measure process is something that uh, the Supreme Court has nullified, as you know, in the state of Mississippi. Right. It's something I hear quite a bit about uh, on the C tax text line. Is this an issue that AFP is engaged on?
4: We, we've we looked at it in the past. Um, we haven't engaged. We've engaged in it sometimes. We haven't engaged in it too much. Uh, we didn't, you know, this session, we didn't really see a path forward. But uh, we're certainly going to be watching that as well, just like we were on the PERS piece, yeah. um, and see, see what happens. I know there's a lot of people out there. Um, you know, there's two ways to look at ballot initiatives. It, it, it does it take away from the ability, f- you know, for legislature to legislate, but, or does it give a voice to the, to the people? And so I think that's something we're going to uh, be working through. We certainly had it at one point. Uh, we, you know, we know why l- I think most people know why I left. I mean, obviously the reduction in population yeah. uh, took away a congressional seat and right. you know therefore uh, uh, the way we're uh, our constitution, and everything else reads, we, we, we lost that ability. Um, I think there are people who want to to use that particular um, method for good, but then there's sometimes people who also want to use, use it to do some things that, that really sort of go against what the legislator is look, you know, the legislators are looking at. And that process so i think there's there's sort of two ways for us to to approach that hmm. uh, but we're certainly going to be watching it
1: okay what about uh tax reform we got uh, some significant tax hey. reform done a couple years ago but we didn't get the income tax fully eliminated is is this a priority for afp yeah
4: yeah it, it definitely continues to be a priority um i kind of came in at the tail end of that um last year the tail end of session and you know our message at that time was for the house and the Senate to come together and find a reasonable solution to eliminate the income tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm personally impacted. I, you know, grew up in Mississippi. I certainly paid in, you know, personal income tax when I was here uh, early part of my life, moved to Florida where we had no income tax, a uh, personal income tax, didn't pay it. So coming back here, there's an immediate hit, you know, for, for having to pay that tax. Um I, I do believe uh, that the elimination of a personal income tax makes sense, um, but we have to do it in a a reasonable manner. And, and, you know, for us, it's a priority. Yeah. So if there's a bill out there, we're going to we're going to be engaged uh, for sure. Um, I think. What we don't want to see is bills that come out that create tax swaps and, you know, it's like begging from Peter to pay Paul, as they say, you know, that kind of mindset in that, well, we're going to eliminate the personal income tax, but then we're going to raise some taxes over here um, that impact people in in a different way or maybe in – in a way that you know uh impacts our businesses and and that kind of thing. So we're we're not looking for a tax swap. If we're going to eliminate taxes, let's eliminate taxes. And the personal income tax is one that we'd like to see go.
1: Yeah, of course the the challenge always is how do you do that in a thoughtful way and in a right. responsible way that doesn't that doesn't uh it, it put the state at risk as far as ma- meeting sure. its obligation and and funding its necessary functions and
4: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's easy when times are good to say You know, we have a surplus. We have this. We've been, you know, ahead of what we predicted at times. But um, you also have to think about the rainy days when when they potentially come. But um, you know, there's a lot of. A lot of um, thought process around eliminating a personal income tax and how that actually can bolster the economy, right so in in the state, so i think I think we you know we have to we have to make sure that we have the right safeguards in place and we have to do the right things, but yeah, we're for eliminating the personal income tax
1: okay, and I know several other states are, are either have or are mm-hmm. looking at uh, significant tax reform. It seems like we got the red states moving in the direction of reducing income taxes, and in the blue states they're actually looking at increasing. Income tax. Yeah. Or taxes in overall, wealth <laughs> right. taxes, whatever they they can uh, uh, get their hands on and they can ram through, they're they're willing to do that. Seem like well, they never met a tax they didn't like.
4: Yeah, well, when you look at whether it's a state budget or a federal budget, uh, you know governments are not for profit entities; they <laughs> only take from the taxpayer, right? That is how their monies come in. There's they don't produce any kind of income, and so the problem is uh, for a lot of people they don't they don't see uh, they don't see it that way. They right. you know it's like the says, this great big uh, bucket of money and and you cannot spend your way to prosperity you cannot spend your way out of inflation um these are just not things we can do so
1: yeah and that seems to be uh what the the mo has been uh, certainly since this president's been in office starlet it's good to see you appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the priorities of americans for prosperity i'm sure we'll be seeing uh, you and your team down at the capitol as the session gets underway okay. thanks Sounds a lot appreciate it coming right back folks in the element well studio
3: Every year every Christmas.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on, on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: I got for Christmas is too big. It's nice, but my sombrero is too big. Is it raining? Is it snowing? I can't see where I am going. Cause the hat I got for Christmas is too big. But ring the bells and beat the drum. Ring the bells and beat the drum. I'll ring the bell. Polite, but if I see that Santa Claus, I'm going to start a fight. <laughs> the hat I got for Christmas is too big. Oh, it's nice, but my sombrero is too big. <laughs> If you wonder why I shiver, I fell three times in the river, because the hat I got for Christmas is too big.
2: <laughs> but ring
3: the bells
2: That's awesome. and beat the drum.
3: Ring the bells and be the drum. I'll ring the <laughs> bells, but I feel sick, because Mr. Santa Claus, you played on me a dirty trick.
1: that's awesome wow Derek and Greenwood you see this uh, here Rhino midday save Christmas was getting Apple watches for wife and the boy heard your statement about Apple called my local store and they said they could sell them but they were out had to order today to have in time for Christmas if I'd waited till Friday Christmas would have been ruined thanks guys true story well that man that uh that warms my heart there. Just to know that little tidbit of information, and it was uh, it was actually fairly big news in the financial world. Of course, this morning. I mean, you got Apple, the world's most profitable company. Any kind of new, any major company like that. It's news that says you can't sell one of your major products until you get this patent suit resolved. That's big time news there. And oh, that, and
2: by the way, you have to cut off sales right before Christmas. Uh, yeah. Wow.
1: Well I'm glad that worked out, Derek. And Merry Christmas to you. And uh that's awesome. Really cool.
2: Hope they weren't listening.
1: Yeah, I just not thought spoiled. About that. <laughs> okay. Blue Christmas by Porky Pig is the best one, says Tim from Tupelo. Oh, man. Any chance the liberals take the breathing deal seriously and stop, says CeCe in Senatobia? That related to the story we shared earlier where some scientists over there in the U.K. have said that breathing, (laughs) human breath, is a major contributor to warming of the planet. We're all going to be out of here if that 1.5 degrees is achieved, and there's like zero evidence of any of that. Unbelievable. We're good. Thanks again, says Derek. Oh, thanks for telling us, uh, Derek. Appreciate that. You bet. My Larry McGee says, my favorite Christmas movie also, Jingle All the Way. Good picture. That was uh, Rhino just shared with us. That's his favorite. Really cool let's see here. Was Sinbad in Good and Jingle all the way as he was in Shazam? Hmm. I Shazam never that. existed.
2: <laughs> there is no movie starring Sinbad called Shazam.
1: Shazam. I haven't heard the name Sinbad in quite some time. You know? Interesting. Well, I uh, appreciate Starla for coming on and sharing with us AFP's plans for the upcoming legislative session. You know, the school choice deal is, is one of those issues that I think is largely misunderstood. And uh, I have been a proponent of school choice for quite some time um, and would like to see it enacted here in the state of Mississippi. It is gaining lots of traction across the country, disappointed that in Texas, the education funding bill, of course, the Texas legislature meets every other year. It is a little unique in that respect. It's a biennial structure. And their big education bill had school choice provisions included in it. And now Texas is under Republican control. And the, the school choice provisions were yanked out. That's after Governor Greg Abbott said that he was going to get something done, and even he even uh, hinted that he would call a special session just for that if there wasn't anything coming up in the normal session, but it didn't get through. Kind of surprised by that. You remember. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, upon her election made getting school choice, universal school choice done in the state of Arkansas a top priority and got it passed. Uh, really, within a few weeks, as I recall, of her taking office. So it's, uh, it's something that has a lot of traction and interest In the red states, honestly, it's not popular in the blue states. It's one of those issues that Republicans and Democrats are divided on, although you're seeing more clear-thinking Democrats realize that the demographics that are likely helped the most, the one that they claim to be the champion for, which are those... At the lower end of the income scale, that are that are stuck, if you will, in a failing district, because they have to attend the school that corresponds with the address, their home address, and so they're just uh, they're relegated to this really difficult situation from a school perspective. So they're starting to come around. The Arkansas program is a little slow getting out of the gate. Uh, And and this is a program where public money, rather than going to the public school where the student attends, that is a per-student funding formula, including in the state of Mississippi, it would be deposited into an account, if you will, that could only be used for legitimate approved education expenses. That's typically structured to be managed by a third party, and you, you can... Only select services in some situations out Arizona is the best implementation I've seen that are available in a, in a menu form, if you will. Here's what you can buy, and it's everything from tutoring services to uh, materials, content-related materials, textbooks, papers, and the like, anything involved in, in teaching, and they make all this available on their website that you purchase and the payment is done with the funds that have been deposited into your account. You can't just write a check out of that account, if you will. Um, And then if there are expenses that that qualify for reimbursement, those have to be submitted in writing in proper format. Those get approved. And then again, the account funds, covers, reimburses for those expenses. So it's, there are a lot of people, and the reason I'm, I'm even describing this, I've heard a lot of people, I know you have too, Rhino, that believe that, okay, with an education savings account, the government just ru- literally writes a check to an applicant who's been approved for their annual, if you will, allocation, appropriation for their student or students. They just send them a check and they can do whatever they want to with. That's not the way it's implemented in any states that have uh, school choice programs already spun up. And that's not something that I don't think the state of Mississippi, if it were to pass a school choice program, uh, also wouldn't implement it that way. I certainly couldn't support that. But the Arizona model, I think, works pretty good. Arkansas is similar. Florida is as well. And then there's just different different phases, different levels. You know, in a universal situation – even families with students in private schools currently would receive a reimbursement. They would get an account, just like everybody else, if they applied for it, and that would be used to offset their expenses of tuition. It would actually pay the schools what it would do. It, wouldn't, it doesn't pay the, um, the, the uh, family, the, the, the person, the student. It actually pays the school directly. Uh, But I I don't see that as something that would pass in Mississippi right off the bat. And by the way, that's not the way Arkansas is implemented either. It starts out by just providing accounts for public to private. You're in a public school. it's It's a failing public school. It may not even be a failing public school, but you apply for an account And I'm just saying that normally if you're looking to move from a a public school to a private school, a lot of times it's because it is not performing very well. But uh, you would apply for the savings account, and if approved, uh, you would would be able to direct the money the state appropriates to your public school to cover, or not actually cover, but it would be the same amount that goes to the public school, but at least to cover some or all of the private school tuition. It would be a public-to-private situation. Then you got the public-to-public where a student could request to transfer from their existing public school, to which they are signed based on their address, to another public school that might be close to them. Coming right back with a final segment of Middays on this Monday, and then Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors.
0: Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Hang on the I want to get to know you better. This Christmas. And as we trim the tree.
3: How much fun is going.
1: Smooth Christmas music there.
3: Yeah.
1: Are you familiar with the old jazz station used to be? I think uh, located in West Jackson down on Lynch Street. Want to say not far from Jackson State. WKXI, I believe, were the call sign.
2: Remember that? Not ringing a bell.
1: Kixie WKXI,
3: smooth
1: jazz all the time. <laughs> Uh, on the ceasefire text line talking about school choice and see and, and there's two texts here that I'm going to get to and and before I read them and discuss them, it's because it's one of the most as I've said misunderstood issues, and and it's important that we we get the facts that we clarify and I and I understand folks have concerns they have fears, uh, and that's why I believe it's critical that we um, we assuage those fears and we discuss it from a factual perspective. But here we go. The only real issue I have with giving vouchers for students to attend private schools is what keeps those schools from raising the cost of tuition, the rate of the new voucher money given, pocketing the cash and not actually allowing new students in. Well, uh, a mouthful there, but the first thing is the amount of money that would be allocated to the student is determined by the whatever law the drafts, legislature drafts. Typically, it's a equal to the amount of money appropriated by the legislature in the general fund to education per student. And there is a per student amount. And then in, in Mississippi, according to the MAEP formula, there there's kind of the base cost and it it gets complicated, but it's it's a set amount. Let's just put it that way. And so it doesn't matter what the tuition in the private school is. They're not paying for the tuition. They're simply transferring money, allocating money to an account that the student could use to, uh, towards tuition to cover some. It could be all it depends on the tuition, but it doesn't really matter. If the tuition in the private school is $10,000 a year, just, just for, for clarifying sake, and the amount you get allocates 5 grand you got to come up as the student with the other 5 grand it doesn't just pay the full tuition it simply allocates the amount it would have sent to the public school into an account that you can then use to cover some or all of the cost of tuition and that money goes straight to the school the private school it can't they can't pocket the cash pay a lower amount so oh, I'm gonna keep the rest of it doesn't work that way. That's why they're called accounts. It's not checks going out. Ho- hopefully that answered that question. And by the way, they don't have to accept those students. The private school is not compelled, not forced to participate. They still make the selection uh, as they of their admissions based on whatever their standards and policies are. So, um, yeah, so I just – I want to – so in some cases, this person says, by the way, exactly, that's why I worry that only students who are currently in private school could afford to go. Could be right, but it wouldn't make sense for the state to say, okay, you want to go to a private school student? Here's the full cost of tuition to cover that. Well, that that I don't think would be – equitable or fair whatsoever. All all we're talking about here is saying, okay, if X dollars goes to your public school for you to attend it, we're simply going to put that in account and let you direct it to the education setting of your choice. If that's a private school, fine. Here's the amount of money. You've got to do that. That's basically the way education savings accounts work. Now, again, when the legislature sits down and writes this law, it could uh, allow... Uh, those funds to be used for homeschooling. It could be uh, allowed to be used for tutors in that regard. It could allow it to be used for uh, charter schools, which we already have charter school law. could it be used for funding tuition in private school, but no more than the amount that's currently going to the public school. That's the important point. We're not increasing the amount here. We're just reallocating it. We're just attaching it to the student for the student and their family to determine the best setting. Instead of saying, here's the amount, we're sending it to the public school. If you don't want to go, that's fine. You're, we're still sending it there, and that's what it's there for. And then the other thing is, uh, uh, I do have a small – it's on the c by tax line. a problem with government, state, paying tuition to a private school. I went to a private school, as did my child, just to way for them to get control as to the curriculum and whether they can have Bible classes, just my thoughts. It's a legitimate problem or concern, I should say, Mark from Bay Springs. But again, keep in mind, the private school does not have to participate. That would be, that'd be the first point I'd make. The second point is this all depends on how the, le- the legislature drafts the bill. If it's drafted in such a way that the private school has little or no uh, accountability, if you will, directly to the state, that's the way it would be. If it's such that the state would have an overbearing involvement in the curriculum, well, then the school may say, well, we don't want any of your students in that case. We're out of here today. Super Talk Outdoors next. Till then,
0: a Super Talk Mississippi media production.